0: Welcome back to the Simuling Podcast, this is your host Gorda Van. Today's episode is uh, one that I've been really looking forward to doing. Um, Jacques Villeneuve Sr. Has, uh, has been uh, in the news lately. Uh, he's, uh, he's been uh, in one of the biggest uh, battles of his, uh, of his uh, career. Uh, he's currently uh, uh, battling uh, cancer. He's doing really well as uh, you'll hear in this podcast. Shock the Senior has uh, been at the top of uh, of his uh, sport uh, in snowmobiling, but also he's also been at uh, the top of uh, of auto racing. So uh, this is a guy that's uh, that's uh, really uh, you know excelled in in any uh, motorsport that he's uh, he's done. So um, with that, um, I want to remind people that. Uh, you can subscribe to this uh, podcast uh, on on iTunes. Uh, you can click on the link uh, that uh, I'm sending here, and uh, subscribe to iTunes. Um, share it with your friends, please do. Um, your Snowmobile friends, uh, your clubs uh, on Facebook, uh, uh, please please share it. Uh, I'm sure people will really uh, enjoy listening to this uh, podcast uh, with with Jacques and all the other ones uh, that are archived on the uh, on iTunes. Uh, so and um also you can uh... you can also uh, listen to this uh... uh... on facebook uh... you can click on the link uh... it's on the snowmobiling podcast facebook page and uh... with itunes um, a lot of people have uh... been emailing me um, just uh... how that all works so so you just click on the link subscribe to it if you have itunes uh... You, and you can get that on pc or mac uh... and there's also uh... a section there uh, on the drop down menu if you if you could uh... You can leave a ranking, um, a comment um, about the podcast. Uh, five stars would be excellent. Um, but please leave a comment. Let me know uh, what you think of the podcast, any suggestions. Would love to hear it. Let's keep this podcast going. I love doing it. it uh, and uh, these uh, podcasts uh, with interviews with uh, the old guard, as I, as I like to call them, uh, from the, the 70s and 80s, are, are the ones that I really enjoy doing. And co-hosting with me today is Phil Molto. Phil Molto is the uh, contributor, test writer for Snow Gore Canada magazine. Also, he's a videographer for Snow Bear Television. Phil's a big fan of Jacques Villeneuve. He's met him and interviewed him several times, and uh, he was more than pleased to come on and, uh, and talk with, uh, with Jacques. So, here is our interview. It was done on September 25th, 2014, and hope you like this. Okay. On the phone with me now is Jacques Villeneuve, Senior, and I also have uh, co-hosting with me today, Phil Maltel from Snowmobile Television and Snow Gore Canada Magazine. So, Jacques, how you doing? How you feeling?
1: Oh, I'm good. I mean, uh, uh, well, wise. I mean, my I feel, well, well, I guess my work is good. I, guess, I hope, uh, you know, fine. I mean, I know your cancer is uh, is trying to beat me up, but uh, I have no problem with it as far as. Uh, feeling bad. I mean, I feel good. It, was, a, it was, a, was bad the first month when it started in June, and when the month before and the, the month after that, when I, but then I started to do chemo, and it started to go away, and uh, feeling wise, and then I started to be, feel good. It's not a problem. I've been down in weight and down in uh, endurance a little bit, but uh, that's coming back slowly.
0: <clears throat> so what's the recovery process right now? How uh, Whereabouts are you in your uh, in recovery? Uh,
1: say that again? Sorry.
0: Whereabouts are you in your recovery right now, your uh, your chemo uh, processes? and uh... I'm
1: at uh, my sixth, sixth time, I guess. No, I have five or six time, I guess. we was supposed to do it last Monday, but uh, my blood, the white cell of my blood was too low, so we couldn't do it right away because in, in, in our blood we have the red stuff that is not good and the white stuff that is good. So the good stuff is the one trying to get you back in, in health when you're... Prevent you from sickness, and, uh, and the and the red stuff is the one that gets all the shit and uh, trying to hurt you. So the red stuff, basically. So when you do chemo, they're trying to get rid of the uh, the, the they're trying to get rid of the red uh, part of the blood, and at the same time they do get rid of the white too. And uh, so uh, that takes your uh, defense side side, I guess, of your body tr- uh, from sickness away, and you get the fragile for a cold or anything like that. <clears throat> So that's, that's a problem. I'm really fragile for any, any sickness right now because uh, I've been down in, in the white stuff of the blood. So, uh, we, so we passed we didn't do the chemo treatment last week, so we're going to do it Monday. So another week, of uh, uh, then I have to needle my, you know, the stuff that I'm needle, 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 needling myself, needle or whatever, I don't know if I'm okay with what I'm saying uh, English-wise, but anyway, every every day I have to um, substance and the needle that I have to put in my 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 body, or whatever, and then uh, and then uh, that should build up the, the white stuff back again of the of the blood, and uh, back to chemo next Monday.
0: Perfect. How many how many sessions do you think you might have? Have they elaborated on that?
1: Uh, I might have to go another two or three uh, chemo treatment. I think uh, something like eight or nine times, I guess, and that's uh, for now. And uh, I'll you know, see what the what the body will respond to the, the what the cancer will respond to that or not. I mean, I know. Uh, a month ago we did a a scan of what my cancer looks like, and everything has been down fifty percent you know it was two and a half inches in size down to an inch of water right now, and it's going away i mean it 's getting taken down by the chemo uh, so hopefully uh, that's that's kept on going that way so we'll know more in a in a week a couple of weeks we will do another uh, scan see if that keeps on going or not if not, I know then it's going to keep on. Uh, we'll do some more chemo treatment uh, later on, but with a different uh, substance, I guess, of the chemo treatment. So. Well,
0: that's great news. That's uh, that's terrific news. And uh, I, I've seen pictures uh, of you in the in the local paper, uh, and and you look great. I mean, you're uh, you, you've like I say, you've lost weight, uh, but uh, you're looking really good. Looks like you uh, there's, you you could be pretty competitive if you got yourself on a sled. <laughs>
1: oh yeah, no problem. I mean, I'm i fine. You know, I'm fine, and I've been. Bad, as I said, the first month when I started in June and in May. The last month of the, of the snow the racing, uh, April, you know, and uh, when that stuff, March and April. Sorry, March, the last month of uh, the snow racing, I was uh, bad, the uh, stomach ache that I had, and I didn't know what it had. So uh, so that took away my mind a little bit from the racing at the same time. So it was a little tough to do the, the racing at that time. And then, um, and then after that, uh, you know, I've been... Uh, for a month, uh, you know, over uh, basically the last three months, like March, April, uh, April, May, and June, roughly, I didn't eat anything for three months because I couldn't. My 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 body wouldn't want uh, food in it. He was wanted to throw it back all the time and uh, didn't feel good at all. So I didn't didn't eat for three months. Now basically that's what it is, and uh, so I lost weight dramatically. And then um, then the doctor I see uh, in my own town here, somewhere around here, in my own town, my own family doctor. Uh, from what I th- when I told him uh, what I had and stomach, you know, I'm not stomach, he had stomach pain and couldn't, couldn't eat. So you know, he, he kind of checked me up with his and like that. So I think he had a an ulcer, ulcer, I guess. I don't know if that's okay in English. in uh, my 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 belly, I guess, or something like that. He told well, me so. He gave me pill for another month uh, to to supposedly take care of what I had, uh, but I didn't do any any good. And so finally, I went to the hospital. So uh, they finally uh, scanned me up, I guess, and then uh, she came back and told me I had a cancer. So that's all it is, and I started there. And then the two, two, three weeks after that, I met the the uh, cancer doctor, and then uh, that doctor just started to take care of me, basically. Then, then the chemo treatment started, June 10th, I guess, and then uh, after that, about two, three weeks, a month later, and I started to be feeling good, back good, back to normal again.
0: That's uh, that's really important information. I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you said that because uh, uh, people they, they got to listen to their bodies and if something doesn't feel right and uh, um, that that that's good that you did that uh, you know you you listen to your body and it wasn't feeling right and you went to your doctors and uh, it, it took a couple a couple steps but uh, um, you got the right diagnosis and uh, you caught
2: it. That's uh, that's really important information. I'm glad you said that. Yeah,
1: you just can't can't play with your body. I mean, in a, in a, you can't. Make it put it aside and say, "Oh, I'll wait, later on, later on, later on." But not nowadays with cancer. Basically, you know, you have no, no, no chance and no, no choice when you feel bad. If you have a chance to get yourself scammed for cancer, especially nowadays, I mean, there's, just, there's no excuse from cancer nowadays. Right. That's all there is.
2: Yeah, so
0: that's great. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, okay, so uh, you're feeling good. Uh, you're, you're, uh, you're looking good. Let's um let's talk uh, about your your uh, your snowmobiling um and uh, your your career. Um where, when when did you get uh um interested in, in snowmobiling? What, uh, I mean I'm sure it was in the 60s. Um when when exactly did you start your snowmobiling career? And and did it come first before uh automobiles or cars?
1: Oh yes, um first of all I started with my my brother basically and you know, my my father bought that uh, sorry uh motor ski back then, you know, mostly uh 17 HP, I guess it was back then, way back again. It was, I think it was a Zephyr, Z, Z, Z-E? Zephyr, Zephyr, yeah. Z-H-I-R, or Zephyr Motorski, 17 HP, something like that, I think. And then we started running around the house, me uh, and my brother, Jill. My brother, Jill, is, was almost four years older than I was. So, uh, so anyway, and uh, my brother, Jill, was more on the racing side than I was. I me mean, was just a, a young kid, the baby of the family, and I just liked having fun, you know. You know, climbing high, uh, um, I mean trees and things like that, or whatever, and uh, having fun. And life was good, fine, no problem. And I was more of a baby in my, uh, my, my, my age was more younger than than what it what it looks like. And my brother was the other way around; he was older than what it looks like, um, mentally wise, uh, with, uh, with than his age. Okay, so it was more difference than uh, the, the difference was bigger than than the years of of of, of, uh, of our our, our born 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 side. You know, let's say three. Three three years and eight months, I guess it was exactly our, our, our birth date. And uh, but basically in, in our mind, I was younger and he was older, so it was a bigger difference between us. So, so it was a little tough to be friends on a young age because he was older and I was younger, baby side more than anything else on a young age. Okay. And and then when um, and then uh, the, the 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 physical side of uh, mechanical parts, you know, like uh, working on the, on the sled that my that my dad had bought, you know. Uh, anything we were doing back then you know was more uh, bicycle or whatever we'd like to go fast with and do something different uh, racing with toys or whatever else and uh, that was a, a young and a young in the young age okay and then um, when my brother and my, my dad, dad bought the snowmobile that we rode around the house like that uh, okay okay let's see how we can do it fast and faster and things like that at that in that age and then uh, you know and then finally some modifications started to be done on the sled don't know exactly, I don't remember exactly what it was back then, but we started to try to make it go faster at a certain point. And then, uh, you know, by uh, either taking uh, the seats off and things like that, making it lighter and uh, motor-wise, what can we do modification-wise. I didn't think about that Me when I was, uh, that was when I was 13 or 14 years old. I was having fun, me more than anything else. My dad, my brother was 17, 18 at that time. He was. He had already his mind in the Formula One racing in Europe. He likes the car racing and the Formula One racing. And he was even, as I was telling you, older than his age exactly in his mind. So, uh, so racing was already in his blood. Me, being the baby of the family, I just followed what my what my older brother was doing basically, and I was having fun, living me basically. And so uh, we're starting to fool around with snow build, you know, go faster and faster, and then. My brother, my, my dad, I guess, changed, changed the snowboard at one point uh, for 21 HP instead of a 17 HP. So we started to fool around a little more with it to go faster and things like that. And, and, and anything that I rode back then, either motorcycle, a uh, uh, little uh, home cart that we built with wheels on it, uh, let's go faster and faster. And uh, that, that was my point all the time, just go faster than the next guy and try to, to beat them up and, and win in uh, and speed and winning and whatever else. So that was my goal, my thinking at that time, like it was automatically my brother Jill the same way. So, um, uh, you know, time went by and uh, we started to go racing a little more, more fun, more fun with the regular house, uh, uh, snowmobile at that time. And uh, then I get older too, 17, 16, 17. And then there started to be um, uh, home races, I mean, the town races uh, around uh, my area. So we started to enter uh, these races, and then we started to winning races and things like that for the fun of it. And then at that time, uh, a dealership back in Berthierville was a Skirul dealership back then. His name was Gilles Ferland, F-E-R-L-A-N-D, at that time. He was a a, a snowmobile uh, dealer for Skirul at that time. So uh, Gilles started to race for him. Uh, around around towns, you know, around different towns or around areas and stuff like that, and winning, winning, winning all the time. And uh, finally, the factory of school, uh 19 uh, what it was what what 1970, 70 something. I uh, knew I uh, heard about him, so they finally hired him to race a snowmobile. So okay. I took his place at the at the dealer, at the Jill Fairland's dealer, racing snowmobile, you know, around town a little locally, more than anything else, and started the winning too, because because Jill was pretty – I had a good mind of modifying a motor to make it go faster, so so we started to, to win races because he was making good sled at that time, uh, started to do races for him, and then uh, winning the races the same way. Uh, I mean, you know, uh, back then it was like a 290cc motor, uh, I don't know, 20 HP or more than that, whatever it was, and we were beating bigger motor because he was putting uh, knowledgeable and making the motor go, go, go fast uh, and good for for a small motor compared to the bigger motors. So, and, uh, you know, driver-wise, I guess we were doing okay. So we were, we were winning some races. And the same thing happened to me. Then I moved to the factory. Uh, that's because my brother, Jill, was there, Skirol, though Now we're back in shit, I don't know. No, uh, no, no, I didn't move to Skirol there right away. That's right, my, sorry. And then uh, after um, a year, I guess he was with Skirol, uh Then the Alouette factory of Montreal, somebody started to hire and hired, uh, decided to hire my brother, Jill, to race Nobel. And then the same uh, went on for me, and I raised Snowmobile Quebec side only for the, the the state of Quebec. And then I moved uh, the factory-wise, with my brother Jill moving um, Europe. Uh, I not know Europe. Sorry, I'm uh, uh, North America, Alou- Alouette, like uh, U- U.S. and Canada. And then um, it started from that point on. And then after that, again after that, in '76, uh, my brother Jill moved back to Cyrille. And I started to win the same deal, the races and race again, with whiskey rule, and I did the same deal. And then uh, after that, um, Jill moved on to Formula One racing, for, uh, Formula Atlantic, sorry, he raced Formula Atlantic first, got um, uh, spot by uh, some, uh, uh, you know, European people, and then he moved on to Ferraris racing, Formula One racing, races. And then I moved on to Snowbill myself, uh, uh, racing, snow, uh, I said, ski rule, 1976, and then moved on to... Uh, 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 do, 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 Polaris, I guess, in nineteen seventy-seven, in, in Quebec, on in Quebec, and then uh, do, 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 yes, no, no, no sorry, I went, went went to Kawasaki factory in nineteen seventy-seven, and then uh, factory of snowmobile races in uh, Shakopee, Minnesota, uh, Kawasaki for 1978 was the Quebec Quebec state, uh, Polaris, and then um, nineteen seventy-nine went from a ski uh, Skidoo ski Quebec State-only uh, snowboard racing, and then after that got hired by the factory in 1980 <clears throat> to race snowmobiles for the factory of Skidoo. Okay, uh,
0: you're, 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 you went pretty fast there and kind of uh, wrapped up <laughs> your whole career. Um, right, <laughs> 1976
1: was ski rule that my brother Jill was doing good with it and I was doing okay at the same time too. And then I went to 7, 1970 when Jill uh, moved out of snowmobile in 1976, to uh, started car races, and then uh, got uh, spotted by the um, people in Europe, and uh, thought about it was a pretty good driver. So he went on to race Formula One races. Got hired by, a, got a, a tryout by McLarens in England, and then Ferrari uh, spotted him at the same time, and then decided to hire him for the, for, for 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 the rest of his life. He did that on whatever you know, he did since 1977-8, I think he started to go for Ferrari. Until he died in 1982, yep. and then uh, me in 1976 was Kiro, 77 went to uh, Kawasaki, 1978 uh, had a uh, uh, Quebec Polaris, uh, you know, backup whatever that I had the race of Polaris in Quebec State, and then 1979 went for uh, ski Quebec State to the same way for Skidoo. And then get hired by the factory in 1980 to race for Val- Val- Valcourt factory in 1980 with uh, Alan Decker at the same time. Yeah. And uh, so from that point on, I've uh, always been a skidoo guy. So.
0: Okay, uh, Phil, you got any questions?
1: Uh, 19, oh. sorry, in 1980. When I raced the first <laughs> year, I raced was for skidoo. I won the world championship that year.
2: Yeah. Okay, Phil, you got. It? Hey, Jacques, it's Phil here, and uh, first off, it's a real honor and a privilege to uh, be talking to you. I'm one of those kids who hung outside your trailer back in the 70s, getting in your way when you're trying to get back on the track. So as a, as, as a mature adult now, I'm, I'm still full of energy and enthusiasm just to hear your voice on the phone. I've uh, met you at several tracks and uh, watched you race cars, watched you race sleds, and it's really an honor to be asking you questions today.
1: Sounds good. Sounds good.
2: My, my, my first question is, when you were talking about the early 70s, what was the transition like from 70-71 to 73-74-75 when you suddenly went from local tracks to the professional driver circuit and then Snow Pro? What was it like for the racers and the teams and the traveling and every, all, everything at that time? What was it like to be on the circuit?
1: Well, you know, circuit was you know Quebec for me more than anything else. I didn't go to the U.S. yet. Uh, basically, it was more uh, Quebec, you know, Ontario, Quebec basically. Uh, <clears throat> Sorry, I mean, like Ontario was Peterborough that we were doing it at that time more than anything else. And Peterborough um, was known as the big place to be in, in the east side, the whatever, you know, the big, fast track that we had there. And it was fun. And um, I don't know what it was. To me, it was – I don't know. It, it's hard to say uh, uh, because, to me, it's just a natural it – for me, it was natural. I mean, it's like um, if you know, if you knew how to ride a bicycle, you know it for all your life. For me, little was the same way. I didn't uh, – can I? can I say that? I didn't uh, – uh, I didn't learn that as I went along uh, to, how to ride a snowmobile or something like that. I just, just natural. I guess I got on it and let's go flat out and go fast. Uh, I can't explain exactly, but uh, my brother Joe was the same way. You know, when he rode anything that he rode, either a car or, or a snowmobile, it was just like a natural, natural feeling, a natural sense to just, okay, let's go on it and go fast. That was the, the, the minor of that racing back then. It was not Mechanical tune up or or anything like that. Somebody was able to do that more. My my brother was more a tuner than I was, and things like that. I was like the baby, as I said, of the family. And uh, Jill was good at tuning the machine. And me, I was just, shouldn't be a good machine. I'll go fast. That's all there is. Basically, as I learned that with the year as I grew up, okay? But uh, beginning wise, uh, you know, I just followed what my brother was doing ahead of me more than anything else.
0: Doc, with, with the uh, with the Alouette uh, uh, factory, with uh, with uh, you and uh, you and Jill's there, um, who uh, obviously it's a it's a, it's a it's a very small company, and I'm sure not a, a whole lot of R&D was going on there. Um, who who is responsible for doing R&D for uh, for these new race sleds? You know, you know, and keep in mind they're they're, they're, tra- they're trying to sell production sleds. Um, so who who was doing the R&D on the race sleds at that, that time?
1: That it was Jill, one thing else, you know, it was just, you know, racing was based with Jills. You know, they I know they had the, uh, produced a uh, race machine to sell, but uh, they copied no, no no, sorry, when Jill showed up there there was already a race machine they produced like it's like what, it was like the um, the snow jet more one else, you know, basically basically uh, with a different of hood on it, you know, with aluminum back back then. You know, racing machine back then was just much were just not much different than a regular production machine. We're just an aluminum frame with a, a, a motor on it and you uh, get rid of what you don't need and then let's go
0: racing.
1: Yeah. Get rid of what you don't need on the machine and make a look of racing, of racing a bit and then let's go racing more anything else at that time. So uh, then then the, knowledge, the knowledgeable people started to take some of the weight away. Uh, uh, I would say one of the first guy that was good at that stuff was Jim on a uh, snow Jet. Right. He was basically, uh, to my point of view, a knowledgeable person at that thing to make it light. And, Making things uh, go and uh, and making sure he was able to drive it. I mean, by um, uh, not exactly jumping, boom, boom, all the 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 bank uh, bank, bank corners and like that. He was just able to slow down a bit, go and drive it on the ice. He, I think was one of the first knowledgeable person to design things like that.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, um, so so with with Jill at the at the factory. Um, um, The development, the development of uh, of the now race sleds, the single tracker, and then and then the uh, the uh, the upcoming uh, twin tracker. Um, Did Alouette kind of give Jill and and you, I guess, so you were there too, um, kind of free reign to develop um, these race sleds?
1: Oh yes, I mean, at a certain point, uh, my brother Jill, as I said, I was a follower more than anything else. So uh, Jill decided to make when he decided to make the twin track, he he already had. Car races experience a little bit. He was already doing Formula Ford racing at that time. So he tried to design a, motor, a snowmobile from what the Formula Ford felt like, you know. The formula of a car races has four points that touch the ground. So he wanted to, to produce a machine that has four points to touch the ground the same way. And, and uh, you know, and, and because those snowmobiles at that time were not that great in corners, uh, speed uh, with the front end not biting as much or the back end or whatever at that time, he decided to go with the the four point machine like a Formula four is, and uh, so it has four point on the ground and uh, has a different kernel weight um, touching the ground, so it makes it more handle better and basically because at that time front end was a little tough to uh, to get it all, get it all the time and at that and those time you know ice was not that much of ice like compared compared to what it is in our day, you know. Now we have like about inch, uh, foot, a quarter inch, foot, foot and a half of ice thickness to raise the whole weekend uh, minimum, and then compared to what it was back then, it was not much ice back then unless you were on a on a lake or something like that. But there wasn't much of a sweeper; it was just a a, a great, a great, a great, a great a, not a great a, a shovel pushed by a truck. You know, what you call that a great, a great. A great uh, I don't know what the word is in English. But anyway, uh, snow pushing. It was one thing else. So uh, there was always a bit of uh, dust left on the ice no matter what. So, so it was not really good ice like it, we have nowadays compared to what it was back then. So, okay, so he said, okay, now we need something like a bulldozer to help us to t- turn through the corners. So he designed the machine, uh, the twin track machine that he had with the steering wheel when he was turning to the left to unlock the uh, inside track to only push by uh, the outside track. And it was uh, great working wise. But the machine, the problem with that machine was the overweight, you know, that was the problem with that machine. And uh, it was always come kind of a, he, then he had build it build it quite fragile at the same time. And motor-wise, we, not the, 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 we didn't have the best motor back then. It was like a Satch motor we had, I think, a tank or a Satch motor. And um, so there wasn't the strongest motor compared to Skidoo or the machine, machine as it had. But uh, my brother and his machine between track was just too good around the corner compared to the rest of the machine. Or the rest of the other machine, but then most of the time it was breaking down. You
2: know, it happened to
1: stay together once or twice, but uh, then when you stay together, you won. Basically.
2: Yeah, Phil. In that in that era of uh, '73, '75, '77, '79, who who was the races that you liked to race against the most?
1: I mean, driver-wise, you met or the racetrack?
2: Dri- driver-wise, who 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 was the person you always looked out for?
1: Well, I don't myself. No, I don't remember. Uh, anything like that. As I said, racing for me was, it was just a fun more than anything else. I wasn't that serious of a person back then, uh, basically, I was having fun racing, and whoever it was out there, let's go race. Uh, uh, I don't have any uh, person in particular that i like to race more than anything else. Uh, my brother, Jill, was the most fun to race with, and you know, I'd like to beat him if I could, but uh, we didn't race very often uh, together. Uh, we raced, I think, in 1974 uh, with the single track machine basically Alouette back north of Quebec and Lake Saint-Jean, and uh, that was more than anything else, the fun, and then it looks like at that time, when we raced together in that race, it looks like everybody else broke down or parked on the side to watch us go for anything else, and we just having had a ball, driving, you know, he pass, I passed, you know, and, uh, you know, whoever would win would win, but to my point of view, I would have backed out to let my brother Jill win, because to me, Jill was like God out there. It was important for him to win, and and uh, I would learn from him and uh, more than else.
2: So. You mentioned In uh, automotive racing, some teams have rules that you don't pass each other. Did that ever exist on any of the teams you were on, like when you were running with uh, Deckers and with Brad?
1: Oh, I didn't get the question. Say that again? No.
2: When you were racing with uh, with the Deckers and then r- racing with uh, Brad Heulings, did yeah. you, was there ever a no-pass rule or did you guys both race? No, 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 ride? no.
1: There was never a no-pass rule. Just try to win if you can, you know. Uh, Brad was uh, really a knowledgeable person, mind-wise, in designing his machine to go to go fast and clutch-wise to acceleration from the dead start, start and uh, going to the corner speed, uh, speed-wise. So, uh, so I mean, there was nothing wrong with that, I, I just couldn't beat him easily at that time, and because he was too much of a knowledgeable, knowledgeable, knowledgeable person to make the machine go. Um, as it said, me, uh, you know, as I said, my young age was less like a kid having fun and snowboard racing, and uh, it, it took me a long time before uh, I decided, uh, okay, let's uh, let's try to make it make it go better. So, I mean, I race with factory in 1980 with skidoo. It was, it was. I was having fun. I mean, okay, let's go racing. Give me something good, and let's go have, 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 a, have a ball and go racing. And uh, Brad was uh, more knowledgeable at that time. In and, in. And, um, Making the machine go fast from the start, that start and things like that. Uh, as the Gary Vassar in Ontario the same deal too. Later on or something like that. You know, there was some guys out there were were pretty knowledgeable, or pretty minded, and and, uh, and, um, and and designing things to go, making sure they would win or anything like that. For me, I was having a ball out there, more fun than anything else. You know, okay, let's go fast. <clears throat> Sorry, let's go fast and uh, let's go party at night. So it was more, else, more, more my life than anything else at that time. It took. Uh, me some years, you know, uh, I, uh to de- realize, not realize, but uh, to change my uh, physical thinking, I guess, or about the racing. It took me, oh shit, I would say, uh, it didn't, didn't, I didn't it, that didn't happen, because racing for me was more fun than, than, than anything else at that time. I loved doing what I love, what I'd what done, but I was having a ball, at meeting people, and uh, let's try to do what we can in, in racing during the day let have a ball at night after that. So I wasn't much of a sleeper back then because of the work and because of the taking, taking it easy. Anyway, so taking it easy, I mean, having fun. Uh, so it took me a little while. It took until, uh, until 1980, almost 86, I guess, when I got back in some of the racing, you know, on a full-time basic after the car races. Um, it,
0: during the, the, the Alouette period, um, when, 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 did you, when did you decide then to get really um, – um, you know, interested and, and, and really concentrate on, on, you know, this this could be a um, a, a, a job uh, for for racing. Uh, when, when did uh, when did that come about?
1: Well, that that never basically happened that I knew of. I mean, I don't know. My brother Jill, went to Alouette before me, and uh, he, uh, <clears throat> he hired me, or asked me to go races with him, and something like that. And I said, okay, fine, let's go, and uh, let's let's go on uh, like that. Hey, we can make a life with that, fine, and let's go racing. No, there's no, there was never a, a decision itself, oh, I'm not going to learn anything else and let's go racing. No. Nope. My, my life at that time was let's follow what my brother does, basically. Uh, you know, what, what my brother do do, uh, was, I was a follower of my brother, basically, at that time. You know, my brother Jill, for me, was a god and he was able to, to win whatever he needed to win and he was designing things perfect or whatever else, you know, and uh, all right, let's go do what he does and let's, let's, let's have the ball uh, doing that. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and let's win races. And I, I, I guess I was a, um, what can I say, a ball's all guy. Let's go fast and let's win. And if it hurts, it doesn't matter. Let's go win. Yeah. You know, so uh, that that was my thinking back then at the, a at the young age uh, because, as I said, I was a baby of the family and my brother Jill was always there before me, so ahead of me or whatever. So if Jill can do it, why can't I do it? So it just going out fun. Yeah.
2: So when did, when did
0: the Elouette uh, uh, deal uh, finish up?
1: Oh, that was um 75 i think the last winter because we went on our own 74 uh, 74 factory closed down and jill got Jill bought up what well up or whatever got everything from the racing of the Alouette at that time and we went on our own in 1975
0: well that, that's uh, okay uh, um, yeah the question is um, the the, the uh, antique race led uh, um, hobby uh, collectors uh, uh, hobby is, is really booming right now um, one sled that I, I, I never see is, is that twin tracker sled. Are, are any of those still around or any of those single trackers still around?
1: Well, there's not much left. Uh, I know there's a uh, uh, story about that, you know, not sorry, but real deal about that. And brother Jill, when he started the car races, he didn't want anybody to copy the snow with those twin track machines, so he took some, uh, used a bulldozer, made a hole, and uh, just flapped them up with a snow, with the bulldozer. Oh. Uh, but then. Uh, I knew back then, uh, when we did on our own in 1975, in Bercyville, not too far from our place, like a quarter mile from where we basically live as a family, uh, we we, we used to work on our... uh, When we raised on our own in 1975, there's a family called uh, uh, Gerard Thibault, I think it was Gerard, G-E-R-A-R-D, Thibault, T-H-I-B-O-U-L-T. There was like a, a farmer place, not too far from our place, but he had a... Um, not a garage, but a bigger, uh, yeah, like a garage, whatever that he was not using. So we kind of rented that garage or we the winter to to race a snowmobile in 1975 when we were on our own. And that's when, then after that in 1976, Jills quit snowmobile racing to go car races. So, um, so we were in, in 75 in that garage out of that the person that he had, and then uh, the stuff stayed there. So whatever, you, he, then he took some. He flattened some down in the ground with a bulldozer at, uh, and uh, buried them under the ground but some some one or two i think uh, twin track left in the garage for oh shit since 30 years i guess and since 1976 and um they got they got forgot there so they rusted they got away and thing like that more than anything else and uh, that that person that had loaned us that garage died his wife died, so his kid came uh, were still you know took his place, I guess whatever because of life and uh, finally the kid i mean in that garage was like a, like a barn that like, like what it was a barn like an old barn that really um, uh, i don 't know the right word in english uh, got home, got home home, got and finally almost those didn 't flatten up down to the ground yet, but it was almost there yet so but the kid went. Looking in that barn for some reason that has been there for 20 something years without nobody knowing anything about it, it was like an old barn, just uh, um, old and uh, you know getting used and almost down to the ground yet. And uh, so finally they went and looked and stuff in there, and they they saw the twin right track there and they saw some pictures and uh, and uh, they uh, they decided decided uh, that was uh, I'd say four or five years ago. Decided they decided okay let's try to sell this. That, that seems like good. Good th- we could We couldn't make money with that, I suppose, because there used to be jis gil- the jildnas stuff racing things like that, so they uh, they wanted to sell it to whatever and they, I know they talked to the museum at Beville thatuna museum to try to sell those things to them or whatever but that none of that stuff happened yet, and I know that, and uh I knew, me, I knew they were in that barn there getting old and getting away or whatever but i I taught and i my 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 brothers Mind and his thinking, he wanted this this stuff to basically disappear. He didn't want any people people knew about knew about it. So I thought, okay, this mine gonna get old, I'm gonna get flattened up to the ground, and it's gonna be uh, flat, uh, you know, uh, with a bulldozer and whatever. But that didn't happen. So the kid kind of find out what was in that stuff. So they decided to wanted to sell it to some people, I suppose. And uh, I said, okay, whoa, 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 hey, hold on a minute. I gotta get I gotta get that stuff and. Put it back somehow together and bring it to the museum, maybe or something like that. But according to the laws, I guess if you have stuff there for so many years that you forget about it, or or you don't not don't forget about it, but we don't have, you never mention about it, or some something is is hidden somewhere. I guess the 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 people that own this gun become becomes the owner of the of the whatever the stuff there if you if it's not mentioned or not nothing can prove it. So so that's basically I think what happened to the twin tracks there there. They're, they're still there, getting older and older. And so, for so far, for now, because I know there's some people that would like that I know of car racing, that help me out in racing. That like to uh, get those things and making and, and you know making kind of uh, rebuilding it together and showing it to people. I guess, but I don't know if that's gonna happen or not. So because that I can't, I'm the owner of that stuff now, basically, because my brother Jill, has gone. All that stuff, but but I don't think I have any paperwork or anything that can prove it. And because of the of the years gone by. Um, so many years gone by. I think uh, they've become the owner of it more than anything else. So.
2: Yeah, well, that's 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 a shame.
0: Uh, that, that's uh, that's good to good to know that they we could see these sleds again, uh, hopefully restored and uh, and uh, maybe a
1: possible thing. was I'm doubtful to that. Though.
0: Yeah. So okay, well, that's that's, uh, that's good. I, I hope I hope uh, I wish you luck in, in getting those sleds and uh, and, uh, and and restoring them. That would be that would be awesome. Um, so okay, from, from from Alouette, where did uh, where did you go from there?
1: Uh yeah, last you there. Where did I go from where? From from Alouette. Where did, when, you, when you finished up with Alouette. Oh, yeah,
0: from seventy four. Um, on. yeah,
1: seventy four. Then and that's when we went to uh, Skirul back to Skirul racing, nineteen seventy six. Uh, Skirul uh, hired my brother Jill, seventy five, seventy six. After I no sorry, after we went on our own in nineteen seventy five. Uh, Skirul, uh, Jill was uh, my brother. Jill was car, Was trying to do Formula Atlantic racing. And so he knew some people at the Skirul factory that decided to sponsor him for the car racing and get him to race snowballs at the same time to design a, a machine for go-over racing And uh, because the overall races was getting more serious back in 76, 77, so on, compared to what, what it was in 70s, 72s, and things like that. And not that it wasn't as serious back in 70s, but it was not as, as knowledgeable as it, is, as it was back in 76 and so on. So um, in '76, when, when Jill went to Rule Factory to be to represent them uh, in U.S. or Canada or something like that, I uh, raised only Quebec size again for for the uh, ski Rule Factory, and uh, Jill uh, designed a um, uh, we designed there a ski rule with independent front end, and, uh, and that's it. What it is uh, that was it was that uh, year in '76, and then that's it. And after that. Uh, 77 uh, what the hell happened Seventy-seven. that was that was the year 76 77 I think I'm not sure uh oh 77 yes I raced uh, Polaris uh, for a dealer or not the, the uh, Quebec I'm sorry for the Quebec um, importer or the, uh, whoever was the the uh the Quebec um uh, I don't have the English word for that whoever imported the Polaris to get it to the dealer so I raced I raced Quebec uh for Polaris basically and 77, 77 78. that was the winter Seven-seven, seven-eight, 77, 78. And uh, then the after, year after, 78, 79, was uh, the first year of a Skidoo fa- uh, machine for the Quebec side, from the Quebec side, the Skidoo machine. And then uh, 1980, I got hired by the factory to race for Skidoo. Yeah.
2: Okay, Phil, you got anything? Um. The sleds changed a lot every year. I, I've seen pictures where you know you're sitting there and there's Polaris and Articat, there's you know Larry Colton, Bob Ellis, and everybody looking up and down the row. What was it like when everybody would show up at the first race with the brand new sleds, especially the first IFS sleds that started showing up on the track? What was that like, looking up and down at each other and trying to figure out who had what? Well, I don't.
1: Well, well geez, uh, it was you know it's like when you're on uh, a Christmas a Christmas day when you get your new toys. Uh, under the trees, you know, and you look at all uh, the 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 box not emptied yet and you're trying to figure out what's in the box and so on, what's, what's going to be for yours and uh, what is the best of the best. It was basically the same deal when we showed up the first uh, races of the year with all the new stuff coming out, you know, uh, the new front end that anybody has, had Alicat, Polaris, uh, Skidoo, Scorpion and all that stuff. It was all kind of new, um, new toys, okay, who has the best toys out there? Basically, that was the feeling, uh, the first feeling that I felt like and when we go to first race, you know, first race, I know there was some testing already been done or uh, from the factory that you could hear in the newspaper that, oh, these guys are so good, so fast, and so on, so on. But uh, you never knew until you go to the first race, look at all the toys, and there's all these guys got uh, that good over the machine, that that different suspension, different, that different, different of whatever else. But you didn't know what the motors or clutches or things like that yet until you would see damn uh, races.
0: You, you were running you, you, now. Uh, the, uh, the racing is, is really going professional with all the all the factories coming in now. Um, classes, you had the 250, 340, 440, um, 650 classes. Uh, did, did you obviously had to you know do quite a bit of work now to to uh, assemble and uh, and prepare all you and, and you were running all three classes. You and your brother were running all three classes or four classes. Uh, yeah, with the,
1: uh, the Alouette back then, it was the 340, the 440, and the 650. Yeah. Uh, and then, one uh, after that, uh, uh, Kawasaki was only the 440, uh, 340, 440, sorry. And then um, Polaris was a 340, and when I went to Skidoo, Quebec, was a 440. And I had two, two machines, 340 and 440. <clears throat> then I would enter the 650 with it, and uh, with the 440, and... So there was two or three classes I was doing with the two machines. And then when I started the race for the factory in 1980, it was the 340 and the 440, the same deal. And that was on after that. And then they got rid of the 440 for only to race 340 rule-wise. And then uh, 440 got back and came back in 1996, I think. I'm not sure exactly. Something like that. Phil?
2: Uh, the race circuit back then was full of characters, both drivers and mechanics. Were there any stories you can tell us about some of the characters or some stories you shouldn't? Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I, I have no. Sh- you shouldn't, but I. But I don't have anything special itself itself story-wise. I. I don't know. I just can't. You must don't.
0: have a funny story, Jacques, uh, with Jill or the other factories. Uh, something. Uh, you, there, I know a lot of stuff went on. In those well, days. Well, I know. Uh, <laughs> you're
1: a good one. In 1974 when we raced with Alouette. Um, you know, as I said, uh, uh, we uh, we didn't live in the model. We lived the. Uh, we had a fifth wheel from Alouette at that time. And uh, the buses uh, to work the machine with, and the fifth wheel to stay down. And the fifth wheel at that time that uh, we had to to sleep in it was not much a winterized machine, so everything was most of the time most of the time always froze up water wise, and and there was no generator inside the more uh, the fifth wheel at that time, so we had to start a generator outside, and uh, every three or four hours you got to put uh, 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 sorry gas back into the machine, no matter what the time what time it was, it was two three a.m. If it hadn't ran uh, out of gas, uh you, you were sleeping, maybe sometime and then uh and then uh finally it gets uh, minus five in them on the fifth wheel, whatever, geez something is wrong here. What the hell? Oh no 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 electricity anymore, okay? Somebody's gotta go outside, put some gas on, and we restarted it back. But anyway, back then, like I said, it was uh, a lot of fun going on, you know. Racing was a was a deal, but to me really fun was more more anything else, you know. If uh, if uh, you know, we we, we race the day, we work uh, right away uh, after the race uh, till you know, I don't know, nine, ten o'clock. Get cleaned up, go to the bar, or whatever at that time, and having fun. Came back two, three a.m. a little bruised up, I suppose, and then uh, finish working the machine and go races the next day. But sometimes, one time I like that in Alou- and uh, I and uh, with the Alouette in 1974, I think it was. Uh, we were a line the weekend before, Eagle River at that time, and uh, and uh, anyway, so it was a good uh, a good you know party going on. We were uh, having a ball, and then and I had a uh, car rental deal with a pin, pin, Pinto P I N T O oh, yeah. that I had, and my brother Jill had a, a Dutch four wheel drive that was following the, the pulling the fifth wheel normally. So he, there was a, the truck by itself to go to go to go to a bar or whatever, and then I had a car so on. The so we were all boozed up when we came out of there, and uh, so we left. I left, you know, left. We left the bar and we go to the, to the, the, the fifth wheel. We're supposed to, you know, we don't go to the motel. We we, we stay in the fifth wheel. The fifth, the fifth wheel was all closed up because the area was down basically. But anyway, we had to enter the racing ground because it was closed up. at night. There was a a chain fence, fence there, so we couldn't enter the, the ground. Basically, we needed to go there because the only place we had to go to sleep. So uh, we go to the fence and now was all closed up. And uh, so I said, no problem, I'll open that door. So I backed up with a pen and bang, right under the, the fence. Open the fence like you see in a movie. Through <laughs> <laughs> the fence with the, with the car. So finally go to the, um, the uh, fifth wheel or whatever to go to, to sleep. Uh, that thing, yes, no, no, oh, no, 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 that wasn't finished. Already. Before that, during the same night, when we got out of the bar. I remember uh, Jill I told us the year before he had uh, rented a car like that, and he was jumping a uh, snow fence, okay? For some reason, I don't know what for, but anyway, he had a, it was a, a car that was, he thought it was like a four wheel drive, he was jumping fence, that was the year before that, okay? So, so I was thinking about that, we were in the parking somewhere, and I see a snow bank that had uh, two, uh, two mechanic in the car, I guess, and I see a snow bank, to cross the snow bank to go into the road, okay? Okay, no problem. We'll jump that snowbank. So I started to take a run at it to jump the snowbank. And inside the snowbank, there was a, a fire fontaine. Fire front thing. am I right with my word? The fire yep. fire front thing, whatever. Yep. So when I wanted to jump the fence, bang, I hit the fontaine. Water, water come up through the air. And uh, my pinto went through, but it, it bent the front frame. It fucked up the radiators, went uh, up the wood and things like that. But uh, you know, at that time of the night, we're all boozed up. Ah, no problem. Let's go. Let's go to a motel. So we uh, drive. I guess so it was ten ten miles. Uh, to drive to the to not the motel. Sorry, but the, the, to the fifth wheel, the racetrack. And that thing was out of uh, Prestone. It was out of oil, and it ran all the way through there. And I couldn't believe it ran, but it ran all the way through there. And um, and then when I got to the fence, the fence was closed up. Ah, okay, no problem. We just jumped We just jumped, uh Snow bank, I guess we might be able to go through the fence. I suppose so we went through the fence with it and finally got to the uh fifth wheel, I guess. So we finally, you know, got a generator going, went to bed, uh, went to sleep a bit. And the next day, uh, we had to go to the motel for some reason. So we brought it to the motel, still had no piston and no water in the car. Brought it to the motel the next day for some reason, I don't remember exactly why. But then when it arrived in the motel, it died there. The car didn't have any more. We started the motor and heee, it was like no spot, like nothing it was just dead. It was so fucking beat up. So my uh my brother Joe was called the entrance or the Dutch entrance to the 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 rental place so they they came and picked up the car. What can I say? here, yeah, and the entrance was I, did, I don't remember hearing, hearing anything wrong or whatever from it. But they had but they had they came and they picked up the car. So the car was just like junk. Yeah. And we had a, went through a fence to get to the racetrack. Uh so it was not that good of a story to tell, I suppose, but I mean, it was some story that we had involved ball to mentioning about it uh, back then, back then anyway. So, Otherwise, other stories among other people, I don't know much or from other stuff. That, uh, we were more of the wild guy, wild gang, wild gang more than anything else uh, at the racetrack uh, compared to all the uh, American guys or the rest of the people, I suppose. So we were the, the, the wild gang, I guess, more than anything else. We were, we were sleeping at the racetrack itself. And the motor one and the fifth wheel with no electricity that we had, we needed to, to keep, you know, get started once in a while to make sure that we had electricity. So compared to all the other teams, cat, Polaris, whatever else, we'd go to the motel, big deal, and big money, whatever, I suppose. But the uh, you know, they weren't that big of a money factory, and my brother had a, a certain budget to go race, races that he, would, that he wanted at that time to go racing, and then and that was it. So we we, we lived with what we had, I guess.
2: There's some pretty funny stories from. I've talked to other racers from around the circuits and that, or through those times racing against you, and uh, how they have to how how they have to do some uh, how they say bending of their own rules, changing hoods and doing things to engines just to keep up with you. They had a lot of respect for you. In those days, you were on every racetrack in North America for ice racing. What was your favorite track?
1: Hmm, Peterborough was one of the nice ones back then. The, oh, we got to go to Peter, Peterborough this, this weekend or something like that. You know? and that was the, the place to look forward more than anything else. Uh, Peterborough was a fun fun place to go at. But when somebody asks me, what's your best place, what do you like nowadays and so on, I don't like anything more than anything else, you know, more than another one. Racing for me is the next weekend. You know, the next weekend is always the most favorite race track coming up because we have to go to that one, we have to win that one. Once it's done, then the next one is the best one. So I don't think we had any place in particular that we did like more than anything else. You know, Iggy River was the, was the Indianapolis of snowmobile racing, so everybody wanted to be at Eagle River and win Eagle River, there's no doubt. But it was not that exactly my favorite, favorite place to race, or Peterborough was not the favorite place to race or law court or anything like that. To me, it was the one coming up is the favorite place.
0: Do you have did you have success at one particular track that uh, you, you know, you went to the track and you know, you know, you would think, you know, this is this is my track, you know, I love you know, I you know, I know you say you don't have a favorite track, but it, was oh. there a track that you really when you went there you knew you were gonna do well.
1: No. I mean uh, to me it was all they were always good track. I mean there was nothing wrong that I didn't like about track. You know, there was places I remember uh nineteen mm, I'm not sure exactly nineteen ninety I think. There was a place we went on it was close to Sudbury. I know we had uh, there was a um, somebody a racer had, had planned a race there, but it was more like a square. It was not no round corner. It was you had to almost make a stop and go and turn left and then next corner uh, the thing like that. So so I went and we practiced there, and then uh, the, the race started to do on, on Saturday. I think we did a bit there, and then they finally decided to quit and forget about it. There's not a race track so and so on. Yeah. To me, it didn't matter. It was a place different to race with, but what, what the hell? It's a race. It's a it's a race track, well, so I don't know. I, I don't think I have a, a, any special places I like to win more than the They're all favorite, or they're all um, special when they're when they're next to come.
0: In, in the seventies, there there when uh, uh, with with Alouette and, uh, and Ski-Roll, what what typically would be the budget for for a, a, a race team? I suspect ski-
1: uh, that's a good question that I don't know of. I mean, I never knew things like that. I mean, I never. Uh, Jill was the guy responsible for the things I got more like than anything else when I raced with Jill. Then after that, when I started to race with uh, uh, for Kawasaki or Skidoo or, or the Polaris from Quebec, you know, I had a, a snowboard and it would give me five or ten grand to go race the winter or something like that, you know. Maybe at that time, I, I don't remember exactly. But when I raced uh, factory-wise, when I raced for my first big, uh, I would say big job was with Skidoo 1980. Um... I know in or 70. No, 19. Uh, let me remember here. 19. 1976 when I raced for Kawasaki, I was paid twenty thousand dollars to race for, for for Kawasaki back in 1976. <clears throat> Sorry. Okay. So that was for a that was for a year round. Their budget I don't know what it was, but I was paid twenty thousand dollars to race for them for the for, that was a year uh, salary basically. Okay. Uh, Fifteen hundred bucks a month or something like that.
0: And, uh, Talk about the, uh, the the Kawasaki deal. Uh, who, who developed that sled, that that race sled?
1: Oh, good question. Mm. Oh, you know, they did the they did the I was racing with um, Greg Channel, I think, at the time. The other driver with the race with Kawasaki. Greg, 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 Greg Channel. I think it was. And um, uh, the guy, a guy I used to work uh, for, for Polaris. Got hired from Kawasaki, and he had, he was there for a couple of years. I can't remember. He was one of the boss, one one of the not a boss, but a high level guy at, at Polaris that moved down to Kawasaki. Uh, I think it was Dick something. I can't remember exactly his last name. Uh, Matters. Yeah, the last name was Matters. I don't. I'm not sure his first name. I think it was Dick Matters. I'm not sure exactly, but I think it was. And um, he was like the boss of our of our racing team. Uh, racing, racing, yes. And then uh, when I was hired there, I me, mean, I took. A lot of the drawing we had the, when we did the 1976 um, stool and uh, even take some mechanical piece off the front end to make it an independent front suspension. So I basically brought that to Kawasaki, and we copied the stool more than anything else. Right. Uh, I, was not, I, was not a, I was not a minded designer like my brother was at that time, so I just brought what we had and copied it and uh, raced it with that. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that great, but it wasn't that, that, that super bad compared to the Leaf machine, but compared to the uh, regular uh, other independent front-end machine, like the Polaris, or had a cat, basically. Polaris was the one to beat at that time. And one uh, on the wrong side we had with the Skirul back in 76. Uh, so we, we had shots of you know springs, like 600 pounds per inch front spring. Compared to nowadays, we're running 100-something pounds per spring, per, per, per inch stroke, you know, for spring rate. And uh, so it was way fucking too hard but it was okay for the bumpy track back we had back then, I suppose. But it wasn't that great when I kept on going with it and with Kawasaki in 77, I guess, and uh, compared to the Polaris and things like
2: that, you know. Yeah. Phil? One thing that's been a constant, I think, for you at every, every race venue that you've been at is uh, people like myself hanging around the trailer. What's it like for you on race day when you're really busy and you don't have time? Or in the other days when you do have time, I've seen you put kids on your sled and take family pictures. How, how do you handle that when you've got a job to do some days at the track and everyone wants your picture and your autograph and, and to say hi?
1: Well, you know, I, I, what you said, you don't handle that. You just do it. It's, it's just fun to do. I mean, you race there <clears throat> because there is a crowd. If there's no crowd, there's nobody likes, that likes what you're doing, then you won't exist. <clears throat> I know you, you're, you're a racer, you want to go fast and you want to, excuse my, 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 my throat, i got to clean my throat. <clears> throat. Excuse me. Anyway, anyway. Um, you know, you exist because there's a crowd, basically, more than anything else. So to me, it's a natural deal to say thanks to people by, you know, taking a shaking your hand, taking pictures, or, or signing your autograph or something like that. I mean, I don't see that as a job or, or a pain in the butt or whatever else. You know, hey, okay, it's not normal. Let's go shake hands. Let's take a picture. And I'll do what I have to do my work later on. If I don't have as much time left, I'll, I'll quit. Or sometime, you know, there's always a time where, there's, there's always been a time where, oh, geez, I've got a lot of work to do with the next race and so on. Have to excuse me, I gotta do this. And well, let's take a quick picture. Let's take a quick autograph. See, so I never put down. Rarely, I mean, if I did, I mean, I can't remember exactly. I never. Uh, I can I say that? Throw away people that uh, want uh, to know from from me or autograph wise or talk to me. I mean, it's just a, a natural deal <clears throat> to do. You 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 are what you. I see. Excuse me. Ah, you are what you are because of the crowd. You know, if there's no crowd, you won't be what you are. So.
2: Well, so I don't uh, know.
1: I mean, I see. It. That's the way I see it.
2: Yeah, that, that's well said. Well said. Over all the years that you that you of racing snowbills, is there one one sled particularly that you were especially fond of?
1: That uh, I race you mean, or uh, from what the racetrack itself?
2: Of all of all the race sleds that you're on the ice with, what, was there one that stands out more than the others, as that was your favorite?
1: Well, oh, back then, and back back then, back in '77, '76, you know, the Polaris was ooh, uh, I wish I could have rode one of them, but like the Olins, these guys were running back in '76. They were, they were they, you know, they were a good machine. They looked like a good machine from that time because they kept winning, winning. They were fast. They were faster and they were faster than anything else. Then after that, uh, any other machine that I was be proud of uh, itself, I don't know uh, anything that I rode. I guess because I'm not saying wow, I'm not saying that because I have the best machine out there. No, no, no. Anything that I rode to me is my. Uh, uh, proudness at that moment, if, that's, if that is a word, you know, proudness or what? Uh, I mean, that's the one that I like the most because uh, that's the one I had to race with.
2: During our during our conversation, we've we've touched slightly on the uh, automobile racing aspect. When I look back, a lot of credit needs to go to you and your brother, I believe, for opening doors. Would you like to comment on just what happened to ca- the, the visibility and the high profile of Canadian racers since that time on uh, on racing, especially in the state? It's in, in kart.
1: Well, you know, races wasn't that big back then, before my brother Jill finally opened doors, you know. Nothing has been done by me either. Everything has been done by my brother Jill, more than anything else. You know, the attention of racing became from Jill, because when Jill decided, not decided, was picked up to go to Europe because he had a talent of his own, Jill, Jill had a different talent, and that could ride anything and go fast with it. And uh, when he went to Formula One racing at that time, it opened more attention to... Uh, Two uh, car races and, and some race. That's it. And then, uh, then I just followed up, did what I could at that time. And uh, that didn't uh, appear to be that big, I guess, whatever. But don't matter to me. I did what I what I had to do. Without in my mind, uh, okay, uh, let's try, let's try to get people to pay more attention to races and things like that. No, no. My brother, Jill, and myself we've always been races to satisfy ourselves, to win the next lap, to win the next lap, and we never race in a, in, a, uh, in, a, in a way to win the championships and making sure we save the machine to make sure it's, it's there to win the point point to the championship It's it's. We always race, and I always race myself to satisfy myself at the moment. At the moment to win the next lap. To win the next lap, to win the next lap, to be the fastest in the next lap. If it wins me the race, fine. I, I wish I could win the race. But um, to be the fastest at that moment mine, at that moment itself right away and then automatically we'll win, we'll win races. That's Basically, how we stopped, and uh, that's basically how Jill stopped the same way without, without realizing it, that we were that good or that bad of a person, because there's a better person for us to win championship, I suppose, because they're going to take care of the machine. They won't beat it up, I guess. They're going to make sure they're going to go slow enough to make sure to go to the end. Uh, no, I don't exactly think that way, and I, didn't, and I don't think my brother Jill either. We like to satisfy ourselves at the moment itself. You know. I've got to go to fast I end to go fast right there. If it breaks, it breaks. If it's it not, we're fine. I mean, it might be win some races.
2: You've touched on something I've read before that you've commented on about uh, racing. You win, you win races by winning lap times. Is that is that is that always been your approach? Go by the lap time, and then you get the race to fall into place.
1: No, I'm not well. It, it becomes to that. It's almost what we're saying, I'm saying. I mean, but that's not. Um, you know. You know, uh, in any racing in any racing you do, it's who is the fastest out there in lap time. It's not the fastest in speed in lap time. It takes a second a lap less for you to, to do it compared to the other guys, and you win races automatically. But that is satisfying ourselves, driver-wise, me and my brother Jules, because we, we'd love to do what we do automatically and uh, to satisfy ourselves. Not exactly to win races for the factory or for somebody else if the fans uh, get satisfied with what I do, what the man just done back then, because we want to go forward, balls out, and let's go win some races. And you know that's the way it is. It's kind satis- you know, how can I say that? I, I'm not saying it nicely, I guess, but I don't win races to satisfy a um, a sponsor. Uh, I'm wrong with what I'm saying, I guess, it's no good. But the, uh, to satisfy a sponsor or to satisfy a factory, I win races because I want to satisfy myself, because I want to be the fastest out there and go fast. It has to go fast, 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 fast every lap, and uh, faster and faster every lap and win the races. That's, that's our thinking, and I know it's, it's a wrong thinking for championship-wise for some, for, according to some other drivers or some other uh, factories or sponsors or whatever, I suppose, but we didn't care for that. We wanted to go fast and be, be the best out there and win races. And as I said again, the next race is always the best one coming up. The next lap is always the next one coming up.
2: One, one more question here before I toss it back to Gord. Uh, Gord's, Gord's a successful racer. I'm a pathetic racer. You're, you're, you're a legend. What goes through your mind when you pull up to the start line? What are you thinking when you pull up to that start line?
1: Hmm. <laughs> go fast and win. That's all. Uh, I don't think. It, what else? I don't, what else can you think? I mean, I don't think you think of um when my show will make it. Uh, uh, what can I do in the next weekend or so no, no I think i uh, I think at the moment itself right now let's go win the race let's go off the line the fastest let's see let's let's try to be the first in the corner if I can't be first in the corner okay let's try to come out of these guys okay, hopefully the setup that I done will be fast enough hopefully uh, uh, I can get to the start line and, and i don't know i don't think I'll think of anything else let's not, let's try not to to crash in the first corner, because for whatever, for whatever the reason is, and when I say crash, I'm just saying myself. I mean, it's not an accident from anybody out there in the first corner. And it's uh, to go fast and win the race. Uh, um, and if they be faster, at every lap, let's get by the other guy. I'm going to by, get by him in the corners. I'm going to get by in the straightaway. Uh, let's try to win. That's all I think.
0: Jacques, you, uh, you, you brought up uh, sponsorship. Um, uh, you, you, didn't, you didn't think too much about it. Uh, um, but you 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 brought in some of the most the, the largest really uh, uh, out of market uh, um, sponsorship with, with Canadian Tire and uh, um, you, you've had some you've had some very large sponsors in your days. Um, how, how did you go about convincing say especially Canadian Tire uh, uh, to come on and uh, and and, and, re- and sponsor your professional uh, twin track team a- at the time because that was uh, that was uh, I think that opened up a lot of eyes. Um, we, of, of course, the uh, the F1 series, uh, Twin Track series, was really taking off then, um, and it we was starting to get some television coverage, some really good media. D- to talk about uh, how you you know proceeded with that.
1: Well, <clears throat> back in kings and Dar itself got involved first with car races uh, back in 19, 1982, I think yes, 1982.
0: You were running the uh, K M car too, right?
1: Yes, yes. When we first did car races with the Taylor, with the Andy Kings and the Empire, that's, how, that's that's how I got involved first. Because in 1981, uh, I had won Atlantic, if I'm, if I'm right, the, the Atlantic Series. In 1982, my brother Jill died in, in May, and there was not much going on for me that summer, basically. There so were some people, uh, a guy from St. Catharines in Ontario, uh, Chuck, Story, I think his name was, not Chuck, uh, uh, what, uh, Charles? uh check them i think his last name was stories i think i'm not sure exactly story and uh it had a a uh two liters a small motor cannon and uh he asked me if you he called me he said, can you grab the car for me on Mothsport? oh i said why not you know, i have nothing else to do so we got we went to Mossport to grab that car that was in, in, in that big series of canam at that time uh, so the two-liter and the five-liter, the small and the big car, were racing together, okay? You, you had two winners in that race, uh, the small one and the big one. Anyway, so, so I want to grab that uh, CanAm two-liter there for him in the Mossport. Just to tell you uh, how the, the, the team was with uh, no-money team, I was the only one with a fire suit, so I had to get out of the car and fill the car myself. That was <laughs> pretty amazing, I guess. But, Did
0: you not win that t- that race?
1: Excuse me? No, no, I mean, I, 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 I ran good with a two-liter cast. I think I finished... Second, no, I didn't have to feel it in the races, I mean, but in uh, and, and, and qualifying or practice, I, would, I had to get out of the car and fill the car. I filled the car and practice and in qualifying, I guess, whatever myself, they would put the car down, got the gas in there because nobody else got a fire suit. You had to do it in the pit like that, okay? You had to have a fire suit. And then they got fire suit for the race, that's not a problem later on, I guess, but they didn't have for the qualifying or practice were during the, the weekend or week or whatever, so I had to get out of the car and fill it at one time. I said, hey, the fuck, come on, get some suit, guys. So finally, they, they got it, I guess. Just the one time it happened like that. And um, so uh, I ran the, the two-liter against the five-liter. I don't know what I, what I did. I think I won the, the two-liter cast. I think inside the five-liter class, I think I finished. I'm not sure exactly what to say or something like that. Total total overall, overall and I can't recall exactly. Uh, you, you might be able to look in the, um, in the uh, memories of things for car races and in 1982 in Mossport, and you'll find out exactly, I guess. But, um, so I started that way, and they knew itself, uh, a guy, okay, this that guy's name was Chuck, Chuck Stories, Chuck Story, Chuck Story, I called him, and uh, he knew himself that okay, he needed money, so he knew uh, at that time, ca- called Well Family, they're, those are the waste School, one of my sponsorship waste School, way School, I'm not, I don't think it's the same deal as the way School Management there is in, a, in Ontario, I think it's the uh, it's uh, so a waste school, well, but I'm not right with my word. A way school garbage company or something like that. I, mean, I know they're, they're worldwide pretty big anyway. Anyway, so it's a family Caldwell they called. It was a um, Stephen Caldwell, one of the more office person. And, uh, geez, what's the other guy's name? I can't remember his first name. Anyway, he was the one involved with it. So, um, so he finally went and knocked at the, the entire door. I said, okay, we have a can car issue Is driving, Can you sponsor us? And they agreed at that time. So we, they went out and sponsored up for the two liter class that year. And we ended up winning the championship of the two liter, if I'm right, that first year in 1982. And then the next year, Kennedy Tire itself decided to go managing their own race team in 1983. So uh, the owner of the factory of the uh, Kennedy Tire company there, the Billis family, yep. one was Dave Billis, one of the kids. And, okay, and uh, they lives live uh, not too far, Barry, Ontario, from right, I'm not sure. Yeah, he was Barry, yeah. Barry, Ontario, and then they, uh, he has his own dining shop there. He was pretty knowledgeable in designing mortar, because he was designing mortar for drive strips and things like that, so he was pretty knowledgeable in, in motors like that. He liked mechanical stuff. But at the same time, he was the owner of the Kennedy's entire company with his uh, sisters, I think, and other brothers or something like that, I think. So, <clears throat> anyway... So that year, uh, the uh, the PR people from the Kansas Tire pe- factory uh, fi- factory had decided to say, "Okay, let's see, that maybe we can interest one of our owners in sponsoring sponsoring that uh, racing team, and so on, and so on." But, but maybe if we give toys to our boss, we would be happy. So so uh, it went on, it wanna that way, and uh, and uh, itself decided that year okay, i us go manage our own team ourselves. So we went under racing 1983 can am five leader and then went on to IndyCar after that
0: yeah, so
1: you, at that time um... and, and, I, I'm not finished. And, I, and I was racing at the same time later on when I finished car races in uh, 1985 I guess the last year we raced the IndyCar under the with the Ken-DyCar involvement but <clears throat> I was under contract for a couple more years with them and the uh, PR people they, wouldn't, they, wouldn't want to get, they didn't want to go race car races anymore at that time, but I had a contract with them for a couple of years anyway to go. So I said, okay, I'm going to take that year, so you want to go snowball racing with me and so on, so on. So they gave me some money to go snowball racing at that time. That was 1987, if I'm right.
0: Yeah, so that must have been pretty hectic time. I mean, you you were racing at the two top levels of uh, car racing and, uh, and, and, and snowbill racing.
1: Uh, so you must yeah, have but that been- wasn't actually done together, though. I mean, the car racers didn't want me to race snowmobile in the winter because they didn't want me to get hurt.
2: Yeah.
1: But uh, so I, mean, I didn't race snowmobile for two, three years, I guess, 85, 84, 85, and 83, 84, 85, and I came back in 86. Okay. Uh, in 86, I wasn't racing before. The, 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 the old years, I raced only a couple of races, like Larkot and Negro Rivers and, and Peter Ballou, I think, at that time. I'm not sure exactly.
0: Did you miss it when you were racing the uh, the Indy cars and stuff like that? Did you actually did you really miss uh, snowmobiling at that time? Like uh, you 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 wish you could do both kind of thing. But like was your passion there
1: still? Well, definitely. But you know they didn't want me to, so I had no choice. Uh, and you were paid to get to drive a car, so you had no choice. And and you, you realize you could probably make better living with the car racing than you would do with the snowmobiling, racing, because snowmobiling racing was getting less and less and less at the same time. You know the snowmobile interest interest was getting less. So why not? You know. But you know my mind was always. Like to design machine motors and things like that, you know. And I got more involved with it when I finally quit car races in 1985. I guess to go r- snowboard racing back in '86. More knowledgeable and designing things myself, you know. More knowledgeable compared to what I was back then, '75, '74, and so on. Like a baby having with toys, you know. He gave me a snowmobile to go racing. Yeah.
0: So but, in those uh, in the the, the the twin track era, when you were with the factory, um, you had uh, the Deckers, um, Hulings. Uh, um, uh, all those guys. Were you all? Were you all working out of the uh, the race shop in Velcourt?
1: Yes. Uh, when uh, when we were factory races back in eighty, in eighty, eighty, eighty-one, eighty-two. Yes, we were factory out of, out of factory in Velcourt. Yes. Yeah. Um,
0: how, what was it like working with all those guys? Was it were uh, were, you, were you pretty close? Uh, I mean, learning off of each other.
1: Yeah, no problem. Me, I'm easy to go along with. I mean, I'm an easy person. I mean, I could talk to anybody. I uh, yeah. uh, go along with anybody. I mean, I'm fine. I'm not a a bad person, I don't think so, I hope not, anyway, I can't judge myself, but anyway, I'm, I'm that easy of a guy, I mean, it's easy to go along with me, so uh, I don't think, I can't remember having any enemies out there, even if they're, uh, even if we're racing together or whatever, I don't think having an enemy with my, my co-racer, my co-racer at the race factory or whatever, you know, you're doing your stuff, I'm doing my stuff, and let's see what we can do the best for the factory at that time, so.
2: Okay, so Phil? Bill, are you there? I, uh, I, it's interesting asking questions, but also le- tuning into all this incredible information. It's, it's overwhelming, all the stuff that we're learning today. Uh, I have one, one, one question about one sled that I saw you run as a prototype. I believe it was at um, Peterborough. You, had, you were developing a sled with a selectable transmission. You were changing gears as you went around the track. How, how was that developed and why? Uh, that was an Owen Sound. Was that Owen Sound? Yes, yeah, Owen Sound.
1: It's a track, uh, uh, and for some reason, back then, uh we knew the, the the belt driven machine you know the the belt that we use went um how can i find that out i found that out like a year a year before that first of all 1986 um when i won the world championships uh when i went back uh, right after the car races the belt you know driving a, a belt through two pulleys is not 100 percent perfect you know there's there's a loss uh, of hp going through there so i uh, went to the ski factory back in 80, that time in 86 and to design what i had in mind uh they weren't exactly agreeing with what I was saying. Says, "What the fuck? You know, I know the the belt are not doing the great shift, the great the great works And let's um, let's try. uh I know the pulley, the pulley back then. You know, the the, the clutch and the driven went the, the 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 most efficient. So okay, let's try something. Uh, let's try to run uh, because there's too much heat created by the belt, too much friction by the one to one ratio back then. So I mean, full pulley, of the clutch, and a full uh, you know." Bottom driven into the driven, okay? You following what I'm trying to say?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, anyway, so I said, there's too much efficiency lost through there. I said, okay, let's try to run with a bigger gear instead. Because I know one of my friends, uh, the, guy's, the guy's name is, guy's name is Daniel Trepanias. It has nothing to do with, with, uh, with car races, but he, he did drag for the fun of it back then. He was telling me that uh, usually at the, uh, the uh, snowmobile drags, the guy runs with a bigger gear to get more speed out of the machine compared to the small gear where they run the full clutch. You mm-hmm. understand again? The full clutch was losing efficiency because they were running the full clutch, you know, the, the, the whole ratio of the clutch. So they were, by running only um, half the ratio, they were they had less uh, the belt speed and when the, uh, it was less efficiency loss. So they were running with the big, big, big gears. So anyway, uh, well, okay. Uh, so I went to the dyno factory and I said, okay, let's try that. Uh, they, I know they had a dyno with, with the with the clutch and uh, driven back on it, I says okay, let's um, let's see with the with the full pulley what it would produce for HP, you know, full HP. I don't know what, let's say 100 HP. Then we started to go with a bigger gear to keep the ratio after the way of the clutch and three quarters of the way of the clutch instead of going the full ratio for going the same speed. Let's say we we want to go 100 mile an hour. Let's see what the efficiency HP wise will be at 100 mile an hour if we go only after clutch instead of the full clutch. You trying? You following what I'm trying to say? Yes. Yep. Yes. Okay, by bigger gears, my clay would shift less in the clutch. And then definitely it was making more HP in half-ratio clutch or three-quarter ratio of the clutch than it was a full ratio of the clutch. So, okay, then I started to uh, uh, added gear uh, to the 1986 Eagle River, back to the Eagle River. That was when we, we uh, decided to go to... Uh, I have to go along with a story here that in 1986, I wasn't racing Snowbill full-time. I was uh, under Ken's entire contract to race cars. So they didn't want me to race snowmobile, so um, but the, the Skidoo factory would want me to go to Eagle River no matter what. okay? So I'd ask the permission of Skins and Tire to go to the, the Skidoo uh, race in Eagle River, and they said, okay, fine. And then uh, I, 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 I gained my point. So finally I got a machine, I think it was um, the backup machine of Gary Vesey at that time, because I think Gary Vesey was a factory racer for Skidoo at that time, in 1986, and uh, so I got a backup, his backup machine with his motors or whatever else. And then um, I think we raced in uh, – I'm not remember the place. Peterborough, I'm not sure exactly. I think the weekend before the Eagle River. And I know I was running second to Bruce Vassell at that time, and then it, something broke down, and I didn't finish the race. So then the next weekend is the Eagle River. That, that, that is the big one in 1986. Again, for – for I mean, Eagle River is always the big one, no matter what. Anyway, so we we'll go there. We we'll, we'll try to qualify, try to lap pants on, and we're not going like shit. We're, I mean, it's not going at all. It's not fast. And finally – in, the, in the, all the elimination of the qualifying we had before the final race, um, uh, I finally beat somebody in the last corner coming out of turn four, beat him by a foot by the line to make sure I qualified. So I'm qualified for the world championship. But I, I know I have shit from a machine. It's not going fast. It's no good at all. And, but I had the regular gear one-to-one ratio, like full clutch for whatever it was, because the belt efficiency at that time with the clutch was not very really good for everybody out there. So anyway... Um so I phoned one of my friend, the guy as I told you Daniel Trepanier, the guy that used to do drags he's a good friend of mine, uh, and I, uh, I told him about um, things like that I have no speed and i'm, I'm finally 'm qualified i 'm qualified for the next race for Sunday, but I um, mean I have no speed fuck i mean I, you know the machines are going good, and so I so, Well, do you ever try big and then he 's trying to explain to me about that big gears that like they usually do on drags, they get more miles an hour with that, and so on and so on, just to remind you back in the '86. In 85, 86, I've not race in 85, but 85, 86, and so on, the the handling of the machine back then was not as important. It, it was always important, but if you were able to have more speed because you had a, a stronger motor or stronger or something else, you would win races because the handling was not that super important then in, in 86. So I said, oh, okay. Then I talked to my friend. And he told me, well, you should try the big gears. Maybe you get more speed out of it. I said, okay. And we knew on, on Sunday, we had the supermod class to do before the, the world championship final uh, on the, on those on back then in 86 there was a supermod the supermod yes it was the supermod 340 it was and then there was a world championship 340 so okay I entered the 340 uh, qualifying that that morning for the supermod and uh, okay started to go with a bigger gear it wouldn't start at all i went to start last, but it had speed started to game up, game up on guys. so uh, i was last off the first corner but Won, 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 all, won my race. Okay, get, get back to the, the the trailer, do some modification. I was trying <clears> – <throat> sorry. was um, Mechanical was done in the Gary Vasseur's back trailer, uh, the back of his trailer at that time, even if it was factory involvement, because Gary Vasseur was um, uh, factory involvement no matter what – no, no, sorry, it was Kito trailer, sorry, with Gary Vasseur in the front, and I was way at the back of the trailer with the machine from the factory machine at that time. Uh, sorry, the factory involvement, but uh, – it was Gary Vassell's backup machine, but we were both. Uh, Gary Vassell was racing for the factory at that time. So anyway, so I used uh, that machine. I uh, said so I cranked it up again, uh, used different uh, adjustment in my clutch to compensate with the big gear that I had. Went back to second heat, the same deal. Didn't start at all, but whoop, came by everybody speed wise. I had you know five miles an hour, five miles an hour more than everybody else. Everybody else had in straightaway. So uh, and it was a radar in the corner after after each each race. I think it was a. Uh, uh, you should ask that, uh, you should ask that to Carpet when we talk to Carpet. Gerard Carpet was there on the radar in corner one. And he says, okay, you're going uh, at that time, let's say 85 miles an hour. Then we do, uh, came back to the trailer for the second eight, did some modification. Whoop, who, 87. He came back, oh, you're going 87, 88. Boom, boom, fine. Then the next, the next uh, qualifying we do before the final, came back to the, the trailer again, did some modification again. Whoop, are you going 90 miles an hour? So you're going faster and faster all the time. Compared to everybody else, is going only 85, 86 at that time. So uh, I came back to the trailer after the third qualifying. I told my, my mechanic and my guy, Let, let's not touch nothing. Let's just cleaning up for the final, and we'll see what it will do. Yeah. So exactly, we'll go to the final at that time, at that year, 1986. I think um, Johnny, uh, not Johnny, but uh, Bobby Donahue had a, a, a wing and a sled, I think, if I'm right, something designed Decker, Decker in the Decker had earth.
2: the wing, didn't he? Decker had the
1: wing first. Yeah, okay, on a, on, a, on a machine, okay. But, I mean, no, but uh, Bobby Donahue had a... Uh, uh, something designed, that would look like a big win on this machine. Uh, it's, it's either his front end hood or his back end was designed like that. It was not a, uh, it was not a twin track. It was a single track machine that, that Bobbin and you had, but with, with like a big
2: shovel type design of a f- hood, I think something like that. I, like, I, I believe don't. I remember that sled. I think there was also a Nielsen Enterprises that looked like that as well. They had the, it was just a massive wing.
1: They were, well, it wasn't a wing. It was just a design of the wood that would look like like, like a shovel for yeah. air. Anyway, <clears throat> so um, everybody uh, started up front like not, not normal. I didn't start at all. I came the uh, first corner. was the, That was almost last. But then I came out of the corner, either first or second, and then passed everybody down the straightaway easily. And then, uh, uh, was that an 86? Was that the... Uh, no, it was not the position. It wasn't, it was done. I would get on my ass going in the corner, but i get down straightaway brrr, I would lose them five or six length, get to the corner. I wouldn't handle that great to the corner, but get down the straightaway it was gone. And I won the race, basically. Yeah. Uh, because and- I had been more straightaway speed because of the the clutch I was uh, yeah. designing, uh, the in designing designing to go along with the big gears that I had. And it became that way for that year in 86. I went to Valcourt, the same deal. I started last, but boom, passed everybody down straightaway, Valcourt, and all the race, two or three races that I did for the uh, factory that year they wanted me to be at, and then I won everything like that because I had more speed. In 1987, it came up about the same way when I raced with Kenny's entire name. Uh, same deal, I wanna with the big years, and I won a couple of plays like that, and I should have won to go even in '87, but um, my radiator, radiator mount uh, uh, broke, and it unscrewed the, uh, the pep cut, I guess, something that emptied the, the radiator, and then the radiator emptied itself, and then finally the motor cooked. Uh, but uh, you know, I would have, I would have, I would have, no, no, no problem at that time. So, and then ended up, um, uh, Decker won the race. Chuck Decker won. Uh, Chuck Decker won the race. But anyway, to start the race with, I was gone. And I had speed, but uh, the 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 pet cut, I guess it's called. It. I'm not sure. Whatever emptied the radiator, opened itself, and then and, and lost all uh, all the press down, and then overcooked the motor. So, but anyway. And as the, as it went along, it was that year. The first couple of years, like that, 86, 87, was you had the straightaway speed, the big gears. You, you had a good chance. You got a chance you could do well. Everybody else was trying to something like that, but they wouldn't catch up with what I had. You know, I, I had work in it to make it go, and then nobody else was um, had, didn't have that endurance um, uh, themselves to <coughs> to uh, to go along. <coughs> sorry, to go along with it to make them go, I guess. Uh, and you know. The more weight the heavier the driver is or the more weight the machine is, was even tougher on the belt itself when you do something like that because of the big gears. So being a lot of guy at the same time would help me automatically.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned you – mentioned and, your- me,
1: and then a year or two later on after that, uh, after the, the big gears, then uh, then then uh, then uh, like Goodwin's, percent, for instance, started to design more handling to the corner, more handling to the corner. So they started to be faster and, and then than me with the big gears or whatever, because they had a better lap time to going to the corners and things like that. So, And then ended up, and the belt got better, and the pulley uh, design got better at the same time, and uh, the big gears weren't that great anymore. So it was basically the, the lap time is important. Whatever you can go, how uh, fast you can go to the corner, the m- was more important than trying to go down the straightaway. So. Yeah.
0: You, mentioned, uh, you mentioned Gerard Karpik. Uh, in my last uh, podcast interview with, uh, with Gerard and his brothers, he said that... Uh, um, he, he, when he when he built the uh, the carpet special uh uh snowmobiles that you were you were actually testing one um and you had you had an incident uh with it and, and you, you you didn't end up racing it um
1: and yeah, was in alexandria
0: yeah that, yeah uh yeah you, you were you were testing up north with it with with, with them and uh and, and you had an accident with it and you, you didn't end up uh, getting the chance to
1: no that was race. not in thing it was not a testing it was in the race but uh, practicing in the and the, uh, no, 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 you're right, you're right, sorry. And testing up north, that's right, my, my mistake. Yep. And, uh, there was a, a, a regular, to me, it's a regular trail machine that he had made more than anything else. Uh, that was good to go, uh, snow cross or something like that. And, and he tried to make it handle and, uh, on the, on all track. And me being, uh, uh, twin track drivers, I got in the corner a little fast with the machine. I didn't have the weight enough to keep it down. I went in too fast, and then boom, and flipped it. <laughs> sure, I wasn't happy with it because I had damaged the machine. I said, I said, no, forget about it. I'm not going to drive a single-track machine, uh, single track machine, that's all. But uh, Brad Eulins did drive one for him, and one at Alexandra, if I'm right. Yeah. Uh,
0: so you, weren't, you weren't disappointed about not having to race uh, race that sled then, were you?
1: <laughs> well, yes and no after the race. Maybe I should have tried it, but I decided in my mind that I don't know where I'm going to drive the, this machine. I'm going to crash it every place, like every corner like that. I mean, not, it doesn't have the handling. And I, my mind wasn't set up, and driving that driving that machine, I was too much used to the twin trap. Yeah. Brad was, I don't know, more, more, more smarter guy, was more smooth guy than I was, I guess. Yeah. And then I managed to
2: make it live the machine. Yeah. Hey Phil, you got anything? I, I'm 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 pretty well. My brain is hurting. <laughs> I know this is
0: this is great. This is uh, this is gold stuff. Uh, you know. Uh, um, so I'm,
2: I'm a talker, Mitch, easy one. That's good. Asks, that's
0: that's great. Uh, <laughs> love it. Love it. I've I've, I've learned uh, I've learned so much uh, today myself. Um, um, when somebody
1: asked me a question, I'm, I'm sometimes tough to. You know, one time in an in interview back when I was young younger, uh, somebody asked you a question. like that in an interview. It uh, was like a live interview TV or something. Like that, I'm not sure exactly. And uh, okay, how was your machine? Fine. Did you? they was okay. Yes. And when I finished the interview, the guy said, "Well, try to to go with a longer answer." To give me time to think of the next question. Exactly. Oh, okay, that that came to my mind and now I'm I'm a book, I speak, I speak, I speak. <laughs> yeah.
0: So um your past your past uh, event I, I guess was, was was last year, correct? At, at at Velcourt? Uh
1: no I was at uh Troisier. Two rivers. Two rivers at in French but anyway.
0: Yeah,
2: so how, how, how'd how you
1: make out the, this, uh, this this past year then? Uh, that, that didn't go at all. I mean, uh, after Valcourt, you know, I didn't even... I left I left Sunday morning. I didn't even race uh, the race uh, at Valcourt on Sunday because I was in a dis- disappointment or disagreement with uh, with our race, series uh, inspector, whatever, you know, a tracking observer, right. uh-huh. and uh, something had happened on the racetrack and they were bitching at me and it's the whole fucking way and so on and so on so I, fucking, so I finally turned around and said, okay, fine, gone, I'm going home. You don't need me? Fine, let's go and go home. And... Uh, uh, fortunately for Valcourt, they were they were penalized for that because they looked like the, the people that they, they, they disagreed with it was not it was not Valcourt fault. It was a series uh, bus fault. It was it was not it had nothing to do with Valcourt. It, we were there that weekend, so it looked like it was Valcourt fault, fault that I bitched at, but it wasn't the case. It was one of our series uh, series um, like a bus or whatever that I. Uh, disagreed with his, his his thinking. So anyway, so I said, well, if you think I'm a piece of shit, I don't. You don't need me. I'm gonna go fucking home. That's all. Anyway, and then I it I went home, and unfortunately, out of that weekend, Valcourt got the one penalized with it because the press Some people think that uh, Valcourt was the, the wrong side in there. It was not. I had nothing to do with Valcourt. itself. It had to do with a uh, series director. was, it was, they were, they were wrong. Anyway, and. Uh, but they'll see the other they'll say the other way around when you ask them question. I suppose no fucking way. You know the the thing is I explain that one to you quickly. <clears throat> checkered flag. Uh, it's important to know what a checkered flight is when the, the race is finished. But I don't usually watch for it. To me, I know. I mean, I don't basically wow 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 watch it for sure sure sure. No, I know. I know one uh, like flag and the next lap the next lap is a checkered flight. So we were practicing that morning on their practice. And um, I'm, I'm somebody's ass if I'm trying to pass or to go, even if it's practice testing. I mean, I race all the time. So I'm on somebody's ass. I don't really see up front exactly. And I don't know exactly the check flight lap time at that at uh, uh, that time when we went by the checkered flight. And the guy in front of me does the same deal. He go flat out to the first corner. So uh, to me, I, I, I never thought that oh, this is the last lap. So we'll, I entered the corner as he went, fast, flat out. Then he decided, he decided to release because he started the checker flight. And I didn't know me. I, didn't, I never saw the checkered flight because I didn't pay attention to it. So I went around his outside and he decided to move right as I'm coming along his outside. So he touched me and he flips over me. So then I keep on going and then realized this is the, the, the final lap. So they came bitching at me and said, Why everybody else saw the flag and you don't see the flag? I said, Okay, that's not the first time it happens. I, I bitched like that a year before or two years before to Marcel Fontaine, who used to run our series. The same way, he says, when you throw the checkered, throw a red flag in the first corner. So we know when we enter the corner, we do look inside. We know exactly. It happens that sometimes you don't see the checkered flag, and you sure. keep on going. And, but if there's a red flag in the corner one, waved at us, okay, we know it's done. And, uh, and then the, 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 uh, the answer of the series director of that guy says, well, everybody else sees it, and you don't see it. Mm, I was fucking pissed. I said, okay, let's go. Let's go home. Yeah. I think I'm a piece of shit, but I'm going home. So that's what, happen- that's what happened at that time
0: coming coming this year. What, what, what are your thoughts about uh, about uh, continuing racing this year?
1: Uh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, my wife doesn't And I told my wife last year that I was quitting. 95% I'm quitting. 5% I'll be back. The 5% is getting bigger and bigger all the time, and I want to be back this coming winter because I didn't like the way it finished last year. And uh, i like to go back at it this year. But the problem nowadays is you need the HP more and more than back then. And, uh, some guys that make motor in Winnipeg, uh, Darcy Rosenstrader makes good motor that everybody else is buying out there. But it's 10 grand a piece and you have to order them in spring. And I don't want to spend 10 grand buying a motor. I'm going to try to do our own and try to do it better than we can. So, um, so anyway, and everybody else is buying these motors. Everybody else about this motor goes fast. So that's all there is. We need power, more power than it used to be. I've been I've been a king and I guess I've been okay in a you know, in eighty uh sorry two thousand six, seven, eight, nine, ten, so on, and so on. But um uh, uh, but nowadays now the motors are getting bigger better than what I had and what I had designed at that time, so I'm gonna have to try to create as create it as good or or better if I could to go faster. And and that didn't happen the last two winter but uh, hopefully this winter I might be able to, to get it and that's that's in my mind I didn't like the way it finished last year, so I want to go back at it, and I want to go back as a winner. If I can't win, then all right, I get out of it, I suppose. But uh, I like to go out and uh, win more than anything else.
0: So, so what do you think of, uh, of the Oval Series uh, now nowadays? <laughs> what, what, what would Jacques Villeneuve like to see different um, in, in the coming year? I mean, you, you've, you, you
1: uh,
0: and, I, and I'm pretty sure, my recollection, you, you are the longest-running snowmobile racer. You, you've, you've covered over four decades now. You, you have a lot of experience now. What, what would, what would you like to do? To, to continue snowmobile racing uh, as a sport?
1: Well, it's pretty simple. Dollar sign. It needs more dollar out there. I mean, I know it's, it's always the same answer from everybody, even from the, 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 the guy, the organizer that organized track. But hey, we don't race for the fun of it. You know, if I want everything on Saturday and Sunday, I want two grand. Two grand is not going to make me spend the winter to go racing. It, it, costs, it costs me about five to six grand a weekend to race, like expense, mechanics, parts, and things like that. So there's no way because you went to Grand you're going to go race. You need sponsorship. I don't have 50 stickers on myself for no reason because I have 50 people roughly helping me out go races. It's costing me almost 70 grand to run the winter, almost, you know, from September to March. It's not just to go racing. It, it, I have to start race on our machine right now in September and keep on going until March. And that's that's you know the preparation the preparation to go to the from September to December it is always the most expensive area. It almost costs about 35 grand to prepare the machine. Then after that it's uh, money spent on racing, testing, and uh, food and traveling and mechanical part as it goes along. So it takes money, and we love racing, but there's no fucking way we can race for the fun of it at, uh, with two grand a weekend. I know it don't make sense. Uh, then uh, you would have to add, ask the uh, spectator. Uh, you know, $100, $100 a piece to go watch a race to be able to to get the money for the promoter to make the race. Uh, that's the problem, I suppose. And uh, Or you just got to have more sponsor or more big factory involvement, especially for ski Polaris, and Articap themselves involved big time in, in racing. But they don't think that way. They think differently, and and they, they, they make races, or the promoter that makes races, they make races at a minimum side with what they can with the money they can. And... We love racing. We go race no matter what. But the biggest hurting part of the racing is dollar sign. There's no doubt. Uh, I mean, because every place we go at now, the, the high level of the racetrack, the protection, the ambulance, and whatever else, it is great compared to what it's been you know, 20 years, 30 years ago. You know, all the places we go at right now, it's ice racing. It's not... The, Bumping, jumping, and snow racing—it's just ice racing. It's well designed by every promoters. There's a, there's a certain standard that the series we do a race with uh, have, and they make sure the promoter or the whatever we go race at make get the track done at that that level. And that's you know well done. There's no doubt there. But what's missing is dollar sign. There's no doubt. Yeah. And uh, without the dollar sign, automatically you miss races. Racer I mean sorry, not racers, but racers. Uh, racers need money to, to go racing there 's not everybody out there that finds sponsorship to go racing like I do find whatever else. The lucky side that I have my name is Villeneuve, the Villeneuve 's name is pretty well known. design created my my brother Jill, first I kept along I, I went along and kept the name there too as, a, as I kept along with the car races and the silver races and um, and people that do help me out. They know they're gonna get their name circulated because my name is involved in there. So, you know, I, and I, and I, uh, how can I say that I, I, back that up. There's no doubt that I don't disagree with that. I mean, I'm not, sh- you know, I'm not ashamed to be uh, to have the name been created that big by my brother, my, by my my, my brother Jules, and and have that name. But I have to be up up to a certain level. If I'm do if I'm last and breaking or crashing every time out there. My name is not going to be kept up front, so I have to keep the name to a certain level too, and I have to be—I have to give the satisfaction—the satisfaction out
2: there.
0: Well, I, I don't think anybody would disagree that uh, you definitely kept the of name uh, up at the, the, the top. I, you know, that's—that's that's for sure. Uh, you know, I—you've been—you've uh, been a, high, a hallmark uh, uh, character on the uh, on the snowmobile scene for for uh, for decades, for like for four, four decades. So, Phil, you got anything, to add?
2: Uh, no, no, just praise and accolades. Uh, it's been a real pleasure talking with you, Jacques. And uh, as, as you say, with with your name and stuff, you know, you are you are to ice hole racing what, what, like a Mario Andretti is to to you know open wheel racing. You know, you, you're you're a legend, and it's really been really been an honor talking to you and getting all this great insight. I can't thank you enough for freeing up your time. This has been fabulous. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's been
1: great. Yes, yes, sounds good.
2: Okay. great. And, and, and thanks, thanks again so much, Jacques. It's been a pleasure watching you from the stands, and you've allowed me into your trailer and give me candid interviews, and to talk today on the phone has been a real honor. Thank you very much, sir. It's yeah, a pleasure
1: you. for me, guys. It's, it's no big work. I'm just sitting down here and just talking, sir.
0: That's, it's that, that, that's, what, that's what all my readers uh, and all my listeners want to, want to hear, is they, uh, they want to hear you talk, and, that's, uh, and you and you, uh, you did it perfectly. So I'm really pleased with that. So. Um, uh.
1: So please, at least, uh, you know, the listeners saying that, way if there was nobody listening or nobody watching races, there won't be any and there won't be any races. So absolutely, true, so, yeah, yeah. We, be, we, uh, we are what we are because of the, of, of, of the spectators. I don't, don't take it wrong, I don't drive to please people out there, and I don't drive to please sponsorship. I drive to, to please myself. I want to please myself at every lap and win every lap, but because people like what I do, fine.
0: Great, that's well, that's well said, it's, it's so true, too. Without the spectators, uh, there, there is no racing. You got it. Okay, well, thank you very much, and uh, see, I'll, I'll, I'll get this uh, uh, link sent to you, and uh, I really hope you like it. I know my readers and my, uh, my listeners and, uh, and readers of Snow Gore Canada are also going to uh, enjoy uh, uh, getting the whole story. Um, that, uh, that, uh, about, uh, Sounds Jock.
1: good, but it, it comes down to when there's no dollar signed, it wouldn't be any of races. That's all there is, basically.
0: Yeah. All right, you thank,
1: thank, thank dollar you very much. No matter
0: what. Thank you very much, Jock. I really appreciate it. Been
2: a pleasure guys, yeah.
0: see you, Talk- thank you, bye-bye, bye-bye, well that was great, uh, it was great talking with uh, Jacques Villeneuve Sr., uh, he's always, uh, like uh, Phyllis said, he's always been open, he's, he's always got a huge crowd around him at the, at his trailer, at the, at the races, uh, uh, I've seen him many times at, uh, at Velcourt, and he's always got a huge crowd, kids, he's signing autographs, he's, uh, he's in uh, one thing about uh, Jacques, he's he's always working on the sled himself. He's he's digging in there. He's always got a couple mechanics, but he's always uh, in there digging in and uh, and working on the sled himself, just thrashing away, getting the sled ready for the next heat. And uh, he's uh, always open to uh, to everybody, the media, the, the his fans. So I hope you like that. Please uh, leave a review uh, on iTunes. Uh, 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 Four or five stars would be excellent. Uh, that, what that does is it, uh, it uh, highlights uh, the podcast in the, in the category and uh, makes it more uh, visible for, uh, um, for other uh, snowmobilers uh, to search and find on, uh, on iTunes. Hope you like it. If, uh, if you have any questions, comments, you can email me at uh, snowmobilerpodcast at gmail.com. This is your host, Gordon Van. Special thanks with uh, Phil Molto today for co-hosting with me today. And we'll talk to you soon.